welcome to the Chirpin' Birds podcast. I'm Ian here along with Mike. Uh, how are you doing, Mike? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Another week of uh, not that much going on. Uh, we'll talk about some uh, just general news and notes, and then uh, we're going to go into sort of what we're excited about going into the season. We have a training camp, I think a little over a month away. Uh, voluntary OTAs are going on right now, not a whole lot else. So um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll just get into it here. Um, so June 1st uh, was sort of a, a significant day regarding the uh, Eagles cap situation uh, pretty much if a player was uh, cut or traded before June 1st all their uh, salary bonus money and stuff left on their contract uh, would apply to uh, the current year and then after June 1st it counts uh, to the following season so what the Eagles did was they restructured um a couple contracts, um, notably Alshon Jeffrey and Malik Jackson. So they uh, officially uh, uh, or they released them with uh, post June first designations uh, when the new league year started. So basically, what that means is that um, they uh, they get two of the those specific designations and they use them on on Alshon and Malik Jackson. Uh, so that uh, you know, this is kind of like complicated to me. <laughs> I've never well, been a numbers guy. Well, what's funny is, at least for Malik Jackson, he signed with the Browns, but also he wasn't released until. Two days ago so it was kind of like a dual member of both teams yeah because like when the new league year started i i heard this news so i was a little confused when uh it sort of actually started to apply like what they did so um you know alshon jeffrey was injured most of last year uh didn't really contribute that much um malik jackson was a uh top tier level defensive tackle when they signed him a couple of years ago with uh when he played for jacksonville uh broke his foot in week one of this first year and last year was a weird year uh generally obviously the eagles did, were not a very uh, successful football team so um you know both of those were sort of to be expected especially with all the money they were um assigned or agreed mm -hmm. to i don't know what they, they already agreed to the contract yeah yeah and what's interesting about alshon jeffrey is you know he was kind of one of their more significant free agency signings of the past decade and um obviously post super bowl he's fallen out of favor for various reasons and injuries as well but it kind of it kind of seems like he his exit and you know everything after the Super Bowl is kind of like the fall from grace with Alshon and the 
the city of Philadelphia. Like it feels a little strange because when he first came here, he's like, all right, like Hashan Jeffrey, that's that's a that's a piece. That is that's a star wide receiver. And you know, it's it's pretty crazy. You don't hear a lot of people talking about, you know, like a reflection on the Alshon Jeffrey chapter as an Eagle. He also uh played very well against the Eagles. I think, you know, with in the Jim Schwartz era, he's they haven't really uh invested too much in the cornerback position. We haven't had really good uh cornerbacks since uh I can't even remember. Lido Shepard and Sheldon Brown. Like I, I don't I'm sure Asante Samuel, like there there were notable corners, but um, you know, over over the years, I can't really remember uh, significant uh, corners. Um, so, you know, uh, kind of go up and like, he's the type of receiver that I pers- I personally really like, like, you know, Deshaun Jackson was obviously a very exciting receiver, but uh, for the Eagles in his first uh, stint, but um, Alshon is a sort of big, uh, leap over guy type receiver, the kind of uh, exciting catches that I personally like a lot. So assigning uh, mm-hmm. him, I, I, I was very excited for, uh, especially sort of, you know, his success with the Bears against us. Um, but I think that after the Alshon drop against the Saints in the second round, uh, things kind of went downhill for him. Uh, play-wise, um, but he is a, you know, Super Bowl champion. He had the famous uh, sunglassed interview. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I came here to play football, not, you know, talk to the media, whatever. Um, so uh, farewell to Alshon. Um, if I had a soundboard, I'd bring a gong or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> what, what's funny is, I mean, who knows if he gets signed again? It looked like he was uh, like pretty beat last year. Obviously, he's coming off of a very serious injury with a uh, Liz Frank, but who knows if he played his last snaps in the NFL? And I think we can safely say that we won't be hearing uh, the name Alshon Jeffries anymore on any WIP calls. Yeah. Well. Uh... Thank you, Alshon. That that's our. Uh, I think that's at least my uh, farewell for for him. I I don't really have any ill will towards towards anyone. I mean, people like trash Ronald Darby for being bad in the Super Bowl, but like you know, six uh, six hundred yards combined or or whatever it was, six hundred uh, offense, uh, crazy amount of offense for for both sides. So you know that. That was probably the last exciting Super Bowl, really. Um, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so uh, additionally, on June 1st, um, there we, we talked about it on previous podcasts, the, the Zach Ertz situation. So basically, if they had trade, traded or cut uh, Zach Ertz before June 1st, um, they would have had 7.77 a million dollars in dead money and that would have saved the been a cap saving of 4.95 million dollars 
but he uh, remained uh, he, and, and remains a member of the Philadelphia Eagles. So if he's traded or cut after June 1st, uh, which, you know, will likely happen, it'll be a uh, $8.5 million uh, savings on the cap with 4.22 million of dead money. So that's about uh, 3 million less dead money and uh, 3 million more uh, save, saved on the cap. So I think, uh, you know, we didn't really talk about this situation on a previous podcast, but uh, it makes a lot of sense that they waited till after June 1st. Uh, we're recording here on June 3rd. So, you know, obviously only, only two days since uh, this uh, sort of cap deadline. So I'm, I, I, th- I guess, you know, it's a smart move. It saves a little cap money. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what uh you know their biggest need is probably another corner um to sort of be you know competitive uh all around you know they have their weaknesses but the corners they're they're glaring weakness uh so who knows if they're going to sign someone uh, more of note or, or trade for someone but uh smart move yeah uh, no and brainer no- move of note, the um, right after that deadline passed, the Buffalo Bills did. Um, they moved some guaranteed money in Stefan Diggs' contract, which eerily uh, created, I think, approximately what Zach Ertz is due this year. So a lot of Eagles Twitter was theorizing that you know, with the, um, with the dates and a lot of people, a lot of, um, Eagles fans were pointing at the Bills roster as kind of being a very potent offense that's ready to make a big push and Sackerts could make a lot of sense for them. So didn't they, didn't they sign someone? Um, they were one of the teams. I think they, or did they, they get rid of somebody? I think they got at least like a stopgap, like somebody they can rely uh, on, but I don't think it's anybody that was it would. like Jared Cook or something, or did he go yeah, somewhere it's, else? It's somebody in that echelon. Yeah. Uh, Essentially, okay. it's somebody that they could rely on, but I don't think it's anybody in the same echelon as Zach Hurts. Yeah. I, I could have sworn, uh, I know Jared Cook went to the Chargers. Right. Uh, the Chargers had, uh, Henry. Henry, yeah. So, but he went to the Patriots, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, that's that's how I was thinking. Okay. Well, yeah, that, that nice. makes a lot of sense for them then. Um, yeah. So you know, we'll have uh, Dallas Goddard. I'm not sure what the Richard Rogers situation is, but uh, you know, they have Kroom and Akeem uh, <laughs> Butler, I think. So. That's uh, I guess the tight end the tight end situation will fall into place once uh, there's a move with uh, Zach Ertz. But um, uh, the other uh, thing of note uh, today was announced that the Eagles signed a bunch of their draft picks. Um, the the biggest of note, Devonte Smith, who they picked tenth uh, overall in the first round, gets a four year twenty point one million dollar deal that's fully guaranteed. Um, and as, uh, 
what's a standard for uh, rookie first round picks. The Eagles have a fifth year option. So they have his rights through 2025. Um, that's uh, you know, pretty solid. That's uh, what? 5 million a year. Solid. I think yep, uh, that checks out. Jalen Mills made like seven a year. So hopefully, now, you... yeah, different, different side of the ball, but mm -hmm. yeah. Now, when do you think Devontae Smith comes over? Uh, hopefully by week eight. <laughs> the Darius Arch joke there for anybody who's confused. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's sort of a, more of a, you know, news and notes than anything else. I don't have anything. I don't really know what I rookie yeah. contracts really really go for but um you know considering the cap space that uh zach Ertz uh, saves now you know it's eight and a half million so you know they move on from him that that'll take care of uh that and then some uh the other rookies have less of a cap hit so yeah congrats to Devonte smith and Milton Williams and Zach McPherson. And I think there was one other so far. I guess Landon Dickerson. If they're going through the first Dickerson. four rounds. I think they got um, the, the running back too. Oh, yeah. Kenneth Gainwell. Yeah, Gainwell, Gainwell. Yeah, okay. So, uh, you know, that's big day for the, for the rookies. Maybe uh, now that they're signed the cap situation's a little more uh, solidified. So uh, making a move, uh, whether that be uh, a Zachary's departure, cornerback uh, arrival or, or what will remain to be seen. We will be eagerly, monit uh, eagerly monitoring that situation. Maybe a second punter. Yeah, maybe we will. <laughs> What's the guy's name? Aaron Sipas, I believe. Sipas, Sipas yeah. All right, um, so uh, real quick here, uh, or not real quick, but uh, the this next segment will be uh, delivered really quick because we're gonna do some rapid fire um, uh, excitement level like gauging for this uh, season. It's we're sort of in the in the dead of the off season here. Not not a whole lot going on. That isn't really uh, sort of. Um, clerical like this the cap situation and contracts and stuff like that uh the ota reports you know are just pretty much quotes from players uh you, not uh it's not a full team situation you don't want some of your veteran players uh, getting hurt in otas i heard that um uh the vikings first round uh, first rounder darisol uh offensive lineman i think uh, tackle um pulled his groin so he's he's been kept out so you know you you kind of want to avoid that stuff um so nothing super exciting to report from ota so uh anyway we're we're going to sort of um now uh each of us don't know what the other is prepared so we're gonna uh, sort of, you know, rapid fire, go back and forth and uh, just talk about sort of things that each of us are either excited about or curious uh, what the other uh, is um, interested in uh, 
talking about for for this upcoming season so um without further ado i guess i'll start uh so um pretty much like i i think that the the biggest thing uh with nick sirianni is he hasn't uh, been a head coach before he hasn't really called plays before so um i think that uh thinking about last year, sort of the, the Doug Peterson offense was, um, uh, sort of inept at, at times, uh, most, mostly or in large part due to poor quarterback play, but, um, the, the sort of lack of, uh, run game, uh, and dedication to the pass is sort of, uh, you know, every game to game was sort of the same, uh, struggles and uh, fits and starts of uh, sort of a just totally inept offense, uh, which turned into a very boring offense to watch. Um, obviously, the receivers uh, were underperforming as well. But uh, I think, uh, first of all, uh, excited, neutral or not excited about Nick Sirianni being a play caller this this upcoming year. I think there's definitely reason for optimism. I think like I'm excited, but I think there's, I think people should have tempered expectations. I think Doug Peterson was obviously like a talented play caller and for a lot of reasons and a lot of obstacles that kind of got in the way, it's, it's kind of hard to measure how much of that was Doug but obviously with the clean sheet, like coming in with a new coach, you can't help but feel more optimistic that things are going to work around this time. Who knows yeah. if that's what will happen, but like you, it's tough not to feel optimistic with a new slate. Yeah, I think like I, I remember when they uh, signed him or they announced the, you know, he'd be the next coach um, not being a play like, I, I want, I was, I was excited about like the potential of like a, a Joe Brady, uh, mm-hmm. a young, like sort of innovative, uh, offensive mind. Uh, it sort of, uh, it felt, you know, a little less excited given the Chip Kelly trauma of the past, uh, having this sort of, uh, you know, exciting, uh, new st- style of, of play. Um, but, you know, Joe Brady has called plays in the, NFL with, with the Panthers. So, um, even though he's, I think th- like 30 years old, so, you know, mm-hmm. half that we're, we're an old team, half the team would be older than their, their head coach. But, uh, that was one of the big knocks on him when he was announced, but, uh, and, uh, I knocked the signing for that reason as well, uh, given the other potential candidates available at the time, but, um, the, the way he kind of talks about how he, he like, he married a teacher, his family is full of teachers and talking about how he like, uh, visualizes, uh, under not, not creating a scheme for the players to fit into, but understanding every player's strengths, weaknesses, and Mm -hmm. what they like to do, how they respond to coaching. Uh, all that stuff was like really inspiring to me. And, uh, it was sort of like, you know, there's different, uh, in college, I, I took like a leadership class and, but it was in business, but 
uh, I really didn't learn that much from it. But, you know, I imagine th that sort of mentality, at least to me, I believe is the correct mentality uh, uh, of being a leader, being a, especially a, a football coach um, or any sports coach, really, or any sort of, you know, person in, with subordinates or business or not. What it's a general across the board, it's a good leadership like thing. Like that's a leader. Uh as far as like a leader of men, like I don't need him to be like, we're gonna bust kneecaps and you know, all that stuff, <laughs> like the the Lions coach. But uh uh him calling play I, I imagine he would bring that philosophy to him calling plays as well because he knows his guys that well. And that is uh sort of really exciting to me. Um so, you know, I would, I would echo your, your sentiment about uh, being excited for, for those reasons. I don't think mm -hmm. it's like, you know, a new guy just attributed to a new guy in a clean slate. I think like in his uh, press conferences and, and uh, you know, interviews after the first introductory thing, which was a total disaster, um, he, he has sort of emerged as like a guy that I want to root for and I have uh as much faith as I can have in him not having watched a game yet. yeah exactly I think those are all good points he's you know he's said all the right things and obviously we're not you know we don't have uh like access to what's happening in the locker rooms on the fields now but you know the players seem excited by him it's tough to piece out like which players are kind of, you know, pumping up their own coach versus being like genuinely excited because, you know, <laughs> they're not going to, they're obviously not going to say anything except very positive things about their new head coach. Um, this is another thing that I had. So, you know, not a surprise. Okay. I kind of chalked it up to just new coaching schemes, new juice, and that goes beyond just Nick Sirianni. We do have a new defensive coordinator and Jonathan Gannon. But going back to just a few notes that I had about Sirianni, um, you know, we don't we don't know too much about this new offense, but there's bound or defense for that matter, but there's bound to be some new wrinkles. Um, ironically, a few offensive players so far have gone on record saying that the offensive schemes between Peterson and what Sirianni is trying to install aren't actually that different. Uh, the one thing that is quite different is the terminologies. Mm. So I don't know. Does that make you feel any sort of way that like it's a, it's a new coat of paint? Yeah. I, um, I, the, the like energy that I've been feeling from like the player interviews and uh, you do make a, a good, you know, observation that though they're not going to trash their new coach or anything but there there were some quotes i think uh, one was miles sanders or someone who who uh who was on the team last year that said basically like it's a lot different than last year the energy is a lot better than last year like some some guys who don't have to say compare sirianni to last year are saying that they the energy the tide has changed the energy is like better um guys are more excited uh so you know that that might come with 
just a culture change period. It might not be extremely reflective on Sirianni, but I remember when um, last year when uh, who's the Giants coach? Judge. Joe Judge. Yeah, when he was like making everyone run sprints or like do push-ups or something, and he, they were getting like that was like yeah. getting no totally ripped. Yeah, so you know, just calling players by he wouldn't even call Daniel Jones. He would call him like I think he would just be eight. like yes, yeah, just his yeah. jersey numbers. All like, right, eight. Yeah, so you know that's also not an impossible thing for a football coach to like come into a new team and like implement things that uh might not work i mean i guess it kind of worked they were a better team than the eagles but uh they sort of you know ended up uh not playing well enough and then blaming the eagles for losing a game for a better draft pick when they could have just won on their own and it wouldn't matter but uh and again uh sort of complained or not sort of but definitely did complain about the eagles trading up to mm-hmm. uh, steal Devonte Smith from them, uh, leaving them stuck with Candarius uh, Kend- Kend- uh, Tony. But uh, you know, Giants aside, uh, I I feel like this this going into this year um, has a lot of like Sixers energy to me. Where not saying like like Nick <laughs> like Nick Sirianni is not Doc Rivers by any means, but the sort of energy shift and comparing the the new sort of coach and uh to the previous one like Doug and Brett Brown to me are sort of similar and like they they had these departures where the team was sort of lost and mm-hmm. uh unsure of you yeah know, the way forward like, a, like successful to like borderline rudderless yeah so like- uh as far as that uh i think that the energy coupled with the similar schemes to doug's uh game plan is might actually be a strength because he did win the super bowl and uh a lot of those principles are probably still applied to the team because a lot of the team is still made up of the guys that won the super bowl which Mm -hmm. hopefully you know those uh, schemes and, and strategies or whatever you want to call them are tailored to the players on the team. And most of the half the players are the same players. Yeah. Maybe not exactly half, but I, I'm less worried about that because uh, I think because the energy surrounding the coach and the coaching staff is different than mm-hmm. it was last year in a positive way. Yeah. And then, real quick on uh, Gannon. At least what I've gathered defensively, the one big thing that is like a departure from the Schwartz era is the idea of disguise. So like Schwartz, who in his time in Philadelphia, very successful defensive coordinator, but like his thing was he would set up defense and just like dare the quarterback to, you know, figure it out or make a play. There was no kind of uh, make the quarterback like, think or kind of um you know change on the fly and so whenever we'd go up against a veteran quarterback they would just piece it apart you know because tom brady has seen every uh coverage aaron Rodgers, even like fitzpatrick you know when you're going up against a veteran quarterback these guys are just kind of piecing them in their sleep and uh gannon he's he's definitely more willing to kind of 
um, let players disguise their own looks. So we're not kind of giving away the cards pre-snap and, you know, hopefully that turns into more turnovers because towards the end of uh, Schwartz in Philadelphia, that was definitely a very big weakness of theirs. Yeah. I think uh, they, they didn't have a interception or like a fumble recovery for, for most of the season. Um, uh, obviously a lot of, offense and defensive uh, statistics will be in the sort of bottom 10 range across the board last year, but um, I'm not totally sure how or if uh, disguises and that kind of stuff uh, factors into the defensive line. Uh, I know there's like stunts and different like sort of, you know, routes that the ends and the, and the tackles do, but um, I, as far as like the, the linebackers and the secondary, I think that, um, that's, uh, going to be a, a positive because whether or not it's a position that Howie or, or Jeff Laurie or whatever, we'll just say front office, uh, value in, in the linebacker position or, or, you know, the secondary, uh, it's it's been a position uh, or a group of, of weakness for, for a while. So uh, if you're not going to really improve the personnel in a significant way, uh, and this is sort of uh, about to go into something that, that I had as well, um, you're going to have to change your strategy. So that's sort of positive. That's a positive thing to me to, to kind of see, I think, um, even not getting that specific in disguises versus sort of, uh, you know, just showing your coverage and, and that kind of thing. Uh, just a new defensive coordinator is exciting to me. I think, you know, I'm sort of uh, wanting to root for Sirianni. I want him to do well because I want the Eagles to win, but also he seems like a likable guy and he is the coach, whether you wanted you, you or you, you know, the Royal, you wanted someone mm -hmm. else. He, he, he's the coach. So, um, and Gannon's his, his guy, the guy he wanted to, to hire. So, um, uh, he did, he, he brought Gannon from in Indy. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's a, that's a positive as well, because I don't believe uh, Doug was allowed to pick his staff or at least towards the end, he wasn't allowed to. So. Yeah. I think um, Gannon was the, the DBs for the Colts under right, right. Matt Eberflus. Okay. So yeah, you know, he's, he's sort of in the same uh, group as, or the same boat as Sirianni where, you know, he hasn't been a coordinator either. So um, I, hope that you know he sort of figures it out i i, I always kind of wait the first four weeks of the season to see what kind of like the team is but uh i'm sure it'll be a rocky first four or five games especially yeah. because of their opponents but um i'm uh, optimistic generally that uh and I thought Schwartz was a good defensive coordinator. Like I think oh, yeah, definitely. so many people um, have like their deficiencies and he had his, but I think, you know, across the board, he, he's a top defensive coordinator. And uh, yeah, he was a type of guy where if 
if he was going to get exposed, you knew exactly how it was going to happen. Yeah, Nate Gary. Yeah, it was just, uh, you know, he was very talented, but he was stubborn and he was exploitable. And if he could do it, you know, there wasn't any other kind of chopped card he, he would activate. He would never really change change his horse midstream. Yeah. But so new coaches overall, excitement level from one to 10. What do you have? Um, I have it as a seven. Yeah, I think like. I don't know. It's tough because, you know, just excitement in a a vacuum, like I'm excited to see what, what, what they do. So I'd say, you know, an eight, but, uh, I'm, I'd say most of like five of the eight is probably like, I'm just like really curious to see how, how they're going to do. And the other three is like, I'm excited to see like the Sirianni offense and the Gannon defense. Yeah. It's definitely like this. It's a seven with upside, but it's a seven knowing that like, you know, every season you see like six to eight new coaches and like four or five of them are flops. So yeah, I don't like, I like the hires. I think they're saying all the right things right now until we can see how they, um, you know, deploy their schemes and coverages and more importantly, how they react to, adversity early in the season and like how they kind of take criticism and grow and adapt i think we won't we won't really know how they are as coaches until like we're deep into the season to be honest yeah i think the the divisional games early on will be a good uh gauge um it's kind of tough because they have the really difficult opponents early on so uh you know i think generally a lot when the schedule came out a lot of people had them at you know seven or eight at the bottom uh and then as high as 11 wins so um i think that they're uh you know being mediocre this year is a great step forward compared to last year so uh if they're sort of a 500 team i think that that would be uh a good a good step forward uh you'll you'll know what you have in hurts you will have something to build off of if you're the coaching staff and uh you get a year of experience for all your rookies so um yeah seven with upside i like that cool all right let's move on to the next one i'm surprised you start with coaches just because that's not what i had i think it was probably like the third or fourth most well you and i don't think alike yeah, no, that's a good thing. That's what We're, makes uh, this entertaining. Different. Right. We have all sorts of points of view. Yeah. All right. So my most exciting thing, and I feel like a lot of Eagles fans uh, will either relate now or will relate as the season gets closer. And it is a quicker slash younger slash more entertaining group of pass catchers. So let's start off with some trivia. Ian, can you tell me, who led the team in passing yards last year and, you know, throw out a number with the name, if you want passing yards. Um, and so this so, is wide receivers, tight ends, running backs, you know, uh, that um, won't be, I'll tell you, it's not a running back, but okay. anybody who catches a pass, this isn't just wide receivers. Um, I'm going to say it's not Zach Ertz. 
So uh, let's see who played, who played the most. Because Fulgham, Fulgham sat. Uh, I'm gonna let me guess. Greg Ward. <laughs> um, no for passing yards, but uh, I'll give okay. you a second guess, and you can throw out yards with your second guess. Is it a receiver? Yeah, it's a receiver. Um, who am I not thinking of? All right, I'll just tell you now because yeah. it'll be <laughs> we don't want like a minute of silence. So it is Travis Fulgham. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. So I don't think I didn't think he played him. enough. I didn't think he played well, enough to. Yeah, so uh. he he only started eight games, and he ended up in thirteen of them. But remember, he had that incredible stretch. I think it was like for four or five weeks, he led the NFL in wide, right, or just in receiving yards. And that was 539 yards. I should have just guessed Fulgham. Yeah, so obviously very bad showing. Um, yeah. And then just a few others. Who led the team in catches last year? Catches is probably Greg Ward. And do you want to guess how many it was? Um, I don't know, like 30? 30. <laughs> 30. No, it was 53, which is, you know... It's bad for leading the team, but it's it's not bad for Greg Ward, you know, yeah. who is a converted wide receiver, former quarterback. And Greg Ward also led the team in targets last year with 79. That's crazy. So obviously last year was very bad for many reasons. We knew that Carson Wentz trusted Greg Ward a lot. And for a few weeks there, he and Fulgham were like inseparable. Like that's really bad. Ertz was injured, and uh, Goddard was injured. Goddard like broke his foot for a while, so yeah, they, they did have some bad beats there. But this all just goes to paint this picture that last year, very sad offense to watch. Just like a very ugly offense, um, and I think we should see a lot of uh, development and growth when it comes to those top three guys who. Um, most people are projecting to be Devontae Smith um, and Travis Fulgham, primarily on the outside. They've made the point to say that these, will, these also um, Rager, that all three of them will kind of be interchangeable. Mm -hmm. They're kind of cross-training them, so they'll be kind of mix and match. Um, but, you know, De Devontae Smith will have a true um, wide receiver one. It's been a while since we had that. I think the last time we had it was a healthy Alshon Jeffrey in the Super Bowl year. Does any other ones come to mind for you? No, it's only like four or five years, but it's, it's kind of been a, a slog of offense since then. Yeah, I mean, it was Alshon and Torrey Smith. I feel like they were both like, I guess, on the team, it was 1A, 1B but they're different types of receivers. Like I, I mm -hmm. view Alshon as a wide receiver too. Uh, generally, I guess, cause he's not like that fast. Uh, but yeah, not I that a wide receiver one has to be fast, but I would think that a wide receiver one would be both fast and, you know, yeah. as another thing. Yeah. I guess I just think of him as like the lead guy. Like yeah. It doesn't matter if he's a possession guy or if he's like a burner, just he's, on a you know on a crucial third down that's 
that's where the look is going or that's where the defensive coverage is leaning. Yeah, the best uh, three wide receiver group uh, that I can remember was a younger Deshaun Jackson, Jeremy Macklin, and Jason Avant. Yeah, that's a solid one. Um, so Alshon and Deshaun are out. I know Deshaun, the one week he was healthy, he was like electric. Um, yeah. Well, between you know, John this... Hightower and Quez Watkins, who do you think uh, sees the field? I mean, that, that's that's a camp battle, I think. Who knows? Do you think, think JJ Ortega Whiteside's in that group, or do you think he's better than that? Or do you think he's, he's worse? I think I wouldn't say like better or worse. I think it's at the point where he hasn't earned like the opportunity. Also, like he's kind of for whatever reason he hasn't seized the opportunity. Like he's a second round yeah. draft pick. He, it feels like he's gotten plenty of fair shakes and he's came up empty. So, I mean, I, I like Quez Watkins of the group. I think Hightower had a few moments last year, but maybe they look at Quez and say that we got enough, you know, quick and small guys. Not that Hightower is that much larger, but what annoyed me last year was how, for whatever reason, they were giving Alshon snaps when he was coming back uh, from his Liz Frank, and he was obviously not his normal self. And they were taking snaps away from Fulgham. That like really irritated me. It'll be nice to see what Fulgham can do with a um, much larger opportunity. And when they do move on from Zach Ertz, which we both think and the majority of the NFL think will eventually happen, that will decrease the percentage of 12 personnel groups we see. Um, so obviously that takes a tight end off the field, puts in another wide receiver, kind of spaces things out, gets another speedier guy on the field, lets um, you know Jalen Hurts air the ball out a little bit more than- That's probably what, what the Colts ones. ran last year because they only had uh, like Jack Doyle. I don't think they had a- real a uh, solid tight end group so they had um what paris campbell i think uh ty hilton and um that other the other guy yeah they had a rookie yeah i think i think we'll certainly still see some 12 personnel but not nearly to the same degree and then the other thing i had was like sirianni he's a wide receiver coach or at least he was at some point so his background is um, you know, I think a plus in this regard and um, early reports from training camp so far is that that's the group that he's really kind of digging in and as a coach, you know, maybe, or as a head coach, maybe certain coaches will kind of be a little bit more hands-off, but so far he's kind of like digging into that group. And I think that's a good sign when it comes to having a more, entertaining and productive group of pass catchers yeah i also i also think he needs to figure out you know the wide receivers three four and five between fulgham uh ward and um jj ortega whiteside because fulgham had that the stretch but um i think 
what led to him not seeing the field as much like yeah you want to see what you have in him more with the Alshon thing you mentioned but I also remember him dropping passes that he was wide open for thrown right to him there was one I remember forget who they were playing but it was like pretty much thrown maybe a little high like it was going straight to his sort of um uh, helmet a little bit and uh mm-hmm. just sort of dropped it uh so he he definitely was uh struggling with uh catching the ball um as far as like the other receivers down the depth chart i'm not i'm not like a big route runner expert guy like i know Devonte smith uh, is a great route runner and it's more obvious when they catch a ball and they're wide open and it's not as easy in my opinion to see when they're a bad route runner because they're not thrown to they're they're off your television screen so mm-hmm. uh you know Fulgham uh I mean I, I don't really know the way Ward's used if um his route running's uh, that big of an issue but uh like JJ Ortega Whiteside uh there's been plenty of uh videos of him not cutting at the right like hash mark and um sort of not get not being on the same page with other guys running their routes and all this stuff so i think that the route running has been a a big issue and that's likely why um players don't see the field uh like jj ortega whiteside who don't get thrown to uh Mm -hmm. so you know Quez Watkins, John Hightower, I'm not, you know, they, they, Quez Watkins was hurt earlier last year, but um, I think like the, the whole Fulgham thing, it's sort of like every, it's, it's like, because he had that four or five game stretch, it's understood that he's wide receiver, you know, two or three, depending how you rate Rager. But uh, I, he, he never like came out of his slump, if you will. So I don't really know what his real, play level is and maybe Sirianni solves him uh mm-hmm. or maybe he just had a, a good four four game stretch but uh Fulgham is is definitely not a guy that I am banking on this year interesting I I think with Fulgham and Rager it's kind of unlocking their confidence like with Rager I think really just like you know, getting him passes early on in the season so he can, like, get out and space and run and, like, see success come to him in the NFL and not be, like, pressing every week. And similarly with Fulgham, I think I think the rotation with Alshon probably messed him up because he's seeing this, you know, like, this older guy who, like, sure, he's a veteran and he has this very productive career, but we know that that wasn't really, like, the Alshon that the NFL knows to be. And if you're not seeing, like, if you don't have this expectation that you're getting like six to eight targets, you know, in any given game, maybe you're not giving it your all. And, you know, that's not an excuse, but I think if he knows that he's getting like a steady stream of passes coming his way, maybe he will be a little bit more attentive attentive or involved and just, you know, he's got to play through that. And once he starts seeing those passes come his way, he'll be a little bit more locked in. Yeah, I think that the the mental element is tough to uh, gauge, and also 
we're not watching practice during the season. So mm-hmm. if Fulgham's not really getting first team reps with, with in, in practice or that many, that many opportunities in practice, he's not going to play, you know, in the game. So whether that's a coaching decision or not, like that's something that's uh, in the background that you don't know. And uh, the, the, you know, playing Alshon might've messed him up thing is, uh not really a, a thought that i like to entertain one because that's impossible to know but also you know other players because it was so prevalent with carson i think that it's easy to apply that to other players and just say like oh you know he like he's not his confidence is down and this and that um, you know, Rager was like hurt. The quarterback was very bad last year. So, um, I will give that to the receivers, but I just think that, uh, player to player, especially being a, pro- a professional athlete, like Jalen hurts has a great attitude and, you know, he was pretty much brought in, uh, and immediately like faced adversity on draft night. So, uh, yeah. and I wouldn't say like, and, and despite that he played well because you know the stats say otherwise but he he played confidently he threw the ball with you know authority not uh, not like you know the hesitation we were seeing all year with Carson so I think that uh Fulgham like I don't know it's just it's just tough for me to see him drop a bunch of passes and then they play Alshon in favor of him I think the biggest thing that annoyed me about the playing of Alshon was the season was done at that point. So you should play the young guys. Like the philosophical development thing was uh, more annoying to me than, um, you know, Fulgham deserved the snaps because he's like earned them or anything like that, which I'm not saying that's what you meant, but, um, you know, if you're trying to see what you, have in, in the young guys, I would, I would have played, you know, any other receiver over Alshon, not specifically Fulgham because I, I don't rank Fulgham as the clear wide receiver two or three at, at this point, at least. I mean, maybe, he, maybe I'm wrong and he will be, but. Um, uh, sleeping on Fulgham. We have it on record. I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, show it to me. That's, that's where I am. Uh, he uh, led the so, team in passing yards last year. No, I'm joking. Yeah, Even though he did. Ba- I'm saying that's based on <laughs> yeah, no, his I'm run, not. you know? Yeah. So I, you need to be consistent all year. Me saying that from, you know, my desk chair who can't run a route to save my life, but um, I'm still saying that because I'm not the, I'm not the guy on the team, but um, yeah. So that's, that's my Fulgham rant. Uh, do you have anything else on receivers? Um. Just, I think going from Ertz to Goddard, I don't think there was a big uh, upgrade or downgrade in town. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, Ertz last year to Goddard this year would obviously be an upgrade. Last year Ertz was hurt. I don't think that's really like a fair characterization of his, you know, talent level. The only thing I have on the difference between them is I think Ertz was a more talented receiver in getting open. I think Goddard's a bit more explosive and he has like a better, um, better knack for yards after the catch and making some highlight real catches. So I think that's something to look forward to. 
as the eventual first tight end. Yeah, Goddard. Uh, maybe it's just because Carson targeted Earth so often, but Goddard gives me uh, obviously different players, but like Brent Selig vibes of of like not being targeted as much as uh, they he should be because he at least you know prime brent Selleck. Uh, i thought you know he's more of a blocking tight end than goddard is but uh was uh, a strong part of the offense during his younger years so mm-hmm. um i think i think goddard would definitely be a, a a good asset to the to the offense if he's utilized now i'm not really sure it's hard to base things from last year off like base anything off of last year because of how poor Carson played. So that sort of anomaly throws out a lot of projecting and basing projections on last year. But I think that um, he definitely should be utilized more, especially if you don't really have a wide receiver three, Um, but you do have pass catching running backs too. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So overall I gave it at eight. What do you give it? um sounds like you're at like a four or five <laughs> for well that's not yeah i guess i'll i'll say let's i'll say six because i am very excited for Devonte smith but obviously we didn't uh, really like talk asleep, about him a sleepy six all right yeah well let's i have see. i have my gripes with with the other receivers so you know one yeah. good receiver hopefully great receiver doesn't all right, really... get, give me something that you're more excited about than the receivers um I'm optimistic. I don't know if I'm uh, super excited because I don't, I don't really know what to expect, but uh, assuming things stay the same in the training camp and into week one, I'm excited for the trade deadline and I'm excited to see if Howie will acquire uh, someone to try to win the division, assuming we're right there by the, by the trade deadline. So I'm going to say like, Howie Roseman uh, trade deadline is the uh, item that I'm uh, excited about because I feel like he is now um, not, you know, on the hot seat, but I think he's now more in wheeling and dealing mode and maybe he can get off of a a contract or or something or, you know, do something exciting for the season. So is this Howie buying or is this Howie selling? I think, well, I'm hoping it's a buy. I'm hoping it's a buy because I'm hoping they're like right in there for the division. And they're clearly like, uh, I guess you could um, combine this with like Eagles competitive level is I'm, I'm excited about them being more competitive than I thought they would, especially with adding Ryan Kerrigan is Mm -hmm. I think that they now possess uh, strong enough positional groups um not the secondary but uh you know the running backs uh the offensive line if healthy the defensive line the quarterback you know offensive weapons i think that they've acquired enough guys uh that uh can push the team into winning the division territory now you know I don't, I don't really, I'm not an expert on around the league. So I don't know if I'm assuming that's their only path to the playoffs. I don't, I don't know if they have a shot at a wild card spot, especially if 
other teams are good. Like the NFC South has the Saints who might actually be bad with Drew Brees retiring, but you have the Saints and the Bucks. The uh the North, you have the Packers and you know the Vikings, and who knows how good the Bears will be. Uh, and then the West, you have Seattle and and San Francisco and LA. So uh, I'm not sure out of all those teams, they'll have a shot at the wild card, but um, definitely with the division, uh, especially if Dallas's defense is bad, the Giants suck. And, you know, you don't know how good Fitzmagic is going to be moving forward. So I think that there's a real shot at, you know, them deciding let's, try to make the playoffs this year after going for 11 and one last year. So uh, if they're in a spot to really, you know, they can see the winning the division and they uh, acquire a, you know, player, maybe there's an injury or something. Uh, I'd, I'd be excited for the Eagles being a major uh, player at the, at the deadline. Now. Okay. I'll ask two questions. The first one being, what is the most you would feel comfortable giving up? Say they're in that position you're talking about where they can kind of make a move for the playoffs. And the second one being like, where would you like to see an upgrade made? You know, let's say that it's hard to predict, like if there was an injury, where it would happen. But like, let's talk about like, at least like a side of the ball, maybe. Yeah, I think uh, probably, probably the defensive side. Because uh, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think acquiring a receiver is uh, likely or necessary. Um, uh, I think that. Um, I'm not totally sure how football trades work. Like a lot of times I think, I feel like it's picks and like money for a player, like the Ngakwe stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like uh, it would be exciting, you know, if there's, if there's an injury maybe to the, uh, an edge rusher, like another edge rusher, uh, or a, a corner, like, you know, this is the assumption that they don't, they have maybe like, I don't know, Vontae Maddox on the opposite side of Slay, you know? So um, I think acquiring that final piece to make a push would be an exciting thing, even if it's like just a serviceable corner. We, we've had a corner issues. So I think like maybe a corner at the deadline to shore up the secondary would be probably the the thing that I'd be excited about. Now, if they sign someone, whether they be good or just merely serviceable, uh, then I, you know, I, there's definitely like a weakness there, which I can see like a a deadline move to be made. Uh, But, uh, you know, I can also see after training camp, there's all these cuts and they signed some corner that got cut and give them a shot. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my, uh, that's my Howie thing. Interesting. And what do you got? What do you give it out of 10? I'd say, a, uh, 
I'll give it a five. I'm neutral. I, kinda, <laughs> I feel like I just talked myself out of it. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, like, uh, I don't think you needed it you needed to talk me out of it because this was something that like i don't even think i've gotten around to thinking about like yeah in my opinion like if you make the playoffs or even if you're sniffing the playoffs like great like that, that is a gravy this season is about player development uh taking your cap medicine getting better for next year like the carson thing that is we are handcuffed with a lot of dead money this season I think we can be competitive and if we are that's awesome i would be i would be in the camp of you know don't make any short-term trades to get to the playoffs just because we don't need like i don't i don't see the point in making a playoff push unless it's organic just because once you get there you're like cool <laughs> like we made it to the first round of playoffs i don't see them advancing like this doesn't yeah. feel like a team well, that would go the distance well i yeah i don't think it'll be i don't think that one i don't think that really matters to jeff lori i think just making the playoffs and being competitive is you know important uh and it's not insignificant especially you know sort of having a direction of, of the franchise going from last place last year to to what would be first place because again i don't think they'll make a wild card spot but uh, i think that by for this move to be made, you would have seen enough of the guys that you're trying to develop, uh, or a majority of them, or at minimum, just Jalen Hurts, where you feel confident that, you know, they have developed uh, to a point where a playoff push would be beneficial, because I think, you know, playoff experience, th this went into the whole Carson thing of Carson never played in a playoff game so uh historically quarterbacks that lead their team to the playoffs for the first time don't go that far uh i think uh goff lost uh in like the first round or something the su our super bowl year or something like he you know they didn't go far and then they went to the super bowl the next year so uh, i think there's I forget who else, uh, but there's like a sort of a historical context to quarterbacks going to the playoffs for the first time don't usually win. And that might be because the team can't really go the distance also. But uh, I think, you know, Jalen Hurts getting a pl playoff experience. Like if Jalen Hurts plays in a wildcard playoff game and loses, I think that's already more playoff experience than Carson Wentz has. You know, and he'll probably get playoff experience this year with the Colts. But I think that that's uh, a valuable, uh, valuable experience for him. And uh, I don't believe that a move that would get them into the playoffs uh, as like a short term thing would be a move like how we wouldn't make a move that would get them in the playoffs, but hamstring them further down the road. So. I uh, like me going from being excited to like down back to a five is more like the move will be a move to sure up the secondary or something like that to make a push that will be a sort of minor move, but a somewhat necessary one to get them into the playoffs. It wouldn't be like, you know, trade for 
Aaron Donald's like the like that. Be, <laughs> like Aaron Donald is hyperbole, but uh, over the keys to like the something franchise. something like that. Yeah, and um, if they're really bad, maybe they they sell like a Fletcher Cox situation to get off his contract as he's aging. Yeah, um, that's so, tricky. I think you know that uh, I could uh, see as exciting as well because they would be bad and then they would be addressing being bad before the season even ends which uh, i could get on on board with obviously i wouldn't want that to happen but yeah i think the one half of the thing that does you know pique my interest a tiny bit would be the idea of um selling like being a seller and getting rid of somebody that is kind of an aging veteran who maybe another team sees as valuable for a playoff push. I think the tricky thing on that end, like you bring up Fletcher Cox, if you look at his um, dead money, even if he's traded, it's like enormous because of the guaranteed money they've invested right. in him by kicking the can down the road. I don't, even, I don't even know if there's a valuable player that we could sell without incurring like a massive cap hit. So. It'll yeah, be so maybe it won't happen. Watch. I'll say it's a four. <laughs> Slowly getting smaller and smaller. Yeah. yeah. All, All right. right. We're I... we're uh, over an hour here, so let's rapid fire these these last few. Um, cool. Uh, this one, uh, we kind of talked about, uh, you know, the corner situation. So I'll skip. I'll skip that. That's kind of something that I had, but. Uh, excited level on uh, the sort of project guys from the past, namely Davion Taylor and Kayvon Wallace. Uh, do you think they'll take a step forward? Do you think they'll be non-factors? What do you think? I, I don't think they'll be, I don't think they'll like have like a big opportunity to make an impact. I think I, I could see them being like, rotational guys who maybe make an impact on special teams do you view them as a potential like josh sweat type where in another season or two they're more impact rotational guys uh not at this stage but of course that could change depending on yeah. their play level all right um describe in one word uh what you think the narrative uh, around Carson and the Eagles or Carson versus Jalen Hurts will be this season from an Eagles perspective. Huh. So, you know, if you say pleasant or something, you know, it's from gotcha. an Eagles perspective. So, so this coincides with one of the ones that I have. So I'll just say it now, which okay. is um, the idea of Eagles fans having a vested interest in the success of Carson Wentz and also uh the well i say success but you know it's really just the success or lack thereof he just uh, has carson to play wentz, right so carson wentz and also the dolphins and i think that'll be kind of like a funny week by week check-in to see like how did carson wentz do mostly because of snaps but also you know he's the guy we trade he was a franchise quarterback of the eagles and we traded him away yeah and then you know also kind of half screen watching what the dolphins are up to yeah, but, I think those two are a little easier because they're clear, like, we just want Carson to play the games. It doesn't matter if he wins or loses, and the Dolphins, what, they need to win a certain amount of games? Is that what it is? Um, 
Dolphins is just a straight first round pick, so uh, it'll just be a draft position watch. Uh, but okay. I think you know, like I think they're. I don't think this is a likely outcome, but of course, there's the doomsday scenario that Carson Wentz plays awful and is, you know, supplanted by somebody else. It sounds like it wouldn't happen, but it happened last year. Yeah, I suppose I don't know who the backup there is, but um, yeah, as far as like the the narratives around it, I'm hoping that he has like a you know mediocre year, and uh, whether Hurts does or doesn't, uh, I I hope it will be uh, uh, I'll say a non-factor. Yeah, I just I hope it's like uh, I hope that it can be civil. Yeah, you know, I don't think like we've had our drama with him. He's now on a new team, and I, you know, I wish him luck because you know he had an important part of Eagles history, and I wish him the best, even if I'm not happy with him. Yeah, I think that him playing very well uh, would put more, uh, you know, Philly narrative uh, juice on whether Hurts plays well or not. so I'm hoping that, you know, or if Hertz plays very well and Carson doesn't play well, and then it's sort of like they made the right decision. I think that, um, uh, like the, the, the pleasantness of like thinking we made the right move and like getting that sort of confirmed in, in their play is worth less to me than if it's just like, you know, Carson goes, you know, eight, eight, nine or whatever. And we go eight, nine, you know, just not talked about, um, uh, rate, uh, one to 10, how you feel about this extra, the extra game to jet, whether it's, you know, jets or they play 17 games, 18 weeks. Um, I mean, on one hand, I like that there's more football to watch. So I like, I'd probably give that like a, like a seven or eight, mostly because I don't think it's needed. It feels like we'll just see more injuries yeah, because of it. And like, I mean, we, I, we all know it's because of ad revenue. So it's really yeah. just an excuse to, you know, for networks to pay more money to show us more ads. So that's why the officiating in game four of the Sixers wizard series was so bad because they wanted an extra game. <laughs> but uh, that's neither here nor there. What do you give it? Um, I'd say I'd, I, I have the same, the same take. I, I like more football, but if it means like, you know, Lane Johnson's going to get injured or something, then I'd rather them not play it. Uh, it is mm-hmm. the Jets. But uh, that I, for some reason, when I first heard about it, I thought the extra game was just tacked onto the end. So we were regardless going to finish the season against the Jets. So I didn't think much of it because I figured <laughs> the Jets wouldn't be good. And if we're in the playoffs, we'll rest the starters. If we're fighting for a playoff spot, you know, we'll, you know, rest the starters if we're winning. If we're not in contention, we will play the third string guys. So uh, I'll say seven seven for the football fan and me that's that's all i had all right here's one for you how about uh fans back at the link and also stadiums across the Uh, country 11 out of 10 i don't care about the other stadiums i don't (laughs) care about the other stadiums Uh, yeah i think um you know fans just make it more fun especially in philly yeah uh, that's a no-brainer 11 out of 10 nice 
Yeah, I mean, everything else I have, I think we've spoken yeah. about. One, on one thing we podcast. haven't talked about is Miles Sanders. Um, I, I find him very interesting because, you know, he's clear running back one, but they didn't really use him like that last year. He has uh, fumble issues, some injury issues. Uh, I just think he's a very talented running back, but I'm not like, you know, he's not Westbrook or, uh, you know, the Sean McCoy level to me. Yeah. It, it feels like coming into the beginning of last season, it was like, all right, Miles Sanders is finally having the training wheels taken off. And it feels like the beginning of this year will be the same energy, which is like, will they take <laughs> off the training wheels? Yeah, I think it's a make or break for his sort of, you know, Eagles tenure uh, if he's you know, on par with last year, then it's kind of like, oh, that's, that's, that's who he is. He has a couple like big runs per season, which, you know, is more than, you know, Jordan Howard's going to have or something like that, but uh, definitely not uh, the sort of guy that other teams are really game planning for uh, that sort of, you know, can carry the offense. Yeah. Uh, He needs to catch the ball much better. I think that's like what makes him, truly somebody you do have to game plan against is he does have that he does have that breakaway speed where he can kind of just come out of the backfield like a true running back but he can also be like a talented guy split wide and make you know a very very nice catch yeah it's interesting hearing fans of other teams talk about him where he's uh not getting enough snaps and uh oh, you know the fantasy community it? when it comes to miles sanders i would never draft him one of the most like when uh <laughs> just when like the fantasy crowd starts like getting whiny about a play on your team is when you know it's like time to <laughs> time to close twitter because it's like there's <laughs> you know you're playing fantasy come on like yeah. you can't hope for everything to go the way that you're betting that's that's the whole point. Yeah. You're betting. That's, that's uh, the fantasy podcast is another episode for, for another day. But uh, for now, I think that's it. Um, we will be back next week, uh, hopefully with more uh, exciting news or, or something. Uh, but if not, we'll have, we'll have another uh, interesting uh, discussion plan. And we have still our uh vikings guys uh free agent uh you know rundown uh coming up uh obviously not urgent so that's uh something to look out for in the future uh but for now uh for mike i'm ian and we will talk to you next week